Well, welcome back to the Power View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Once again, this is Trey Hinkle, the uh, lead pastor at Power View Christian Church. It's uh, great to have you with us. Um, if uh, you have been following us through our study in the Gospel of Luke, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're very glad that you've stumbled upon us and hope that uh, this would be a way for you to continue to be fed from God's Word uh, through the ministry of Palview Christian Church, even if you're not even living in our area. By the way, if you do ever visit Central Oregon on a weekend, we'd love to have you. Uh, we are located in Central Oregon between Redmond and Powell Butte on the uh, Highway 126 in this beautiful farm country, ranch country, uh, overlooking Smith Rock and the Cascades. It's just a beautiful place to, to live and to, to worship, and you're always welcome to drop by and say, hey. All right. Today, we, we're going to start our talk by being prepared. You know, that's the motto of the Boy Scouts, I believe. Be prepared, right? And, you know, to be prepared, even the worst case scenario, it can be at the very least minimized if you have taken the time to prepare yourself. But the sad thing is, is a lot of people just don't realize the importance of preparation or if they do, it's only because it's too late. And people are too late more often than not because they tend to put things off for tomorrow. That which could have been done today, they delay. We have a tendency as people to delay things. We're going to get to it later. I heard a story about a man who was cleaning out his attic. And while he was up there, he found a, an old dry cleaning ticket. And it, it was so old, it had like the, the date stamped on it. it, was from like 11 years prior. He asked his wife, he says, you, you think that they'll still have the suit? And she said, well, it's, it's worth a try. So he goes and with a straight face, just gives the ticket to the guy behind the counter who looks at the ticket and is like taken back a little bit and says, oh, well, um, you're going to have to give me a, a few minutes. And he goes back to the back and he's there for quite a while. And all of a sudden, he calls out from the back and goes, actually, I think I found it. And uh, the man at the counter says, wow, I, I can't believe it. The guy who brought in the ticket says, I can't believe that. I mean, uh, who would have thunk that uh, after all of these years, you'd still have it? The guy comes forward uh, back uh, to see the, the guy with the ticket and said, yeah, um, so that will uh, be ready to pick up next Thursday. Now, that's funny because, you know, we, again, we are so used to delaying things, putting things off and not dealing with them in, in a good time. The parable that we're going to look at today is really about delaying to the point of no return, a thing that we can probably all unfortunately relate to about being too late, having things too little, too late. Um, let's look at the parable. It's found uh, in Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read the entire parable. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, and even the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime 
you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, there, there are a lot of takes on this parable. Some use this parable to talk about what the afterlife is like. Some use it to condemn riches. Uh, some wonder whether it's a parable or not, because uh, like no other parable, Jesus actually uses a name. He names the beggar Lazarus. And that's, again, very unique because none of the other parables Jesus would ever use a name. But for me, one clear message is there. And this is what I want to focus in on today out of all those other things that we can talk about. I, I think the, the thing that screams out to me very clearly is that there will be a point in all of our lives, just like this rich man, where it is too late. Too late. L look at all the ways that that concept is seen. The, the rich man paid attention to Lazarus's condition too late. The rich man finds out about this chasm that exists between uh, the Abraham's side and Hades too late. He discovers that he is too late to help his brothers. He finds out too late that he had not been obeying God's commands as given by the prophets. You know, so many people in our world today, when they face Jesus on the great and final day of the Lord, they're going to find out the same thing, all of those things, that it's too late in Matthew 7, Jesus said that many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, but he's going to respond to them, I don't know you. Throw these people out. They were too little, too late. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is a clear illustration, first and foremost, of the finality of death. What we see here is that once you die, there is no way to change. There is no way to be redeemed Unlike so many other religions today that teach people that there might be hope after you die, even for the wicked, that, that there might be a, a way to come back in reincarnation or to um, do your time in purgatory and then be able to come back. In some religions, you're even able to be baptized for people who are already dead so that they might be saved out of uh, torment and be brought into eternal life. The New Testament is very clear, though. Hebrews chapter 9 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Scripture is clear that our eternity is final, and it's set by the choice that we make here in this life. Jesus said to a race that had been born into sin, that, that lived in a spiritually dead state. He says, if you believe in me, if you make me your Lord, if you have faith in me and what I will do for you, you will have life. You will pass from death to life. In other words, the Bible is clear. Choose God and you your destiny is eternal life. Otherwise, if you don't choose God, you are going to face eternal punishment. 
Now, some people get confused by this parable or story, whichever it is. They come to this erroneous conclusion that, well, because Lazarus suffered in life, that's what gave him salvation. Uh, life was hard for Lazarus, and so God wanted to uh, reward him later on. Uh, he deserved a better afterlife than that horrible, horrible rich man. That's, that's how some people look at this parable. But you got to be careful, because the doctrine of salvation that's found in the Bible is very clear. It's unambiguous. Salvation does not come from anything we do. It does not come from anything that we endure. Will there be suffering? Yes. We are called to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Yes. But we don't earn salvation because of what we've endured. Salvation is a work of redemption that Jesus alone accomplished by living a sinless life and then serving as our substitute on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. Yes, we can share in the sufferings of Christ. We can share in the sufferings in, uh, in, in what Jesus has done. In fact, he says that this life is going to be hard. But suffering in and of itself is not a path to salvation. The point of suffering in this parable is, is that, yes, indeed, there are people who they just can't catch a break in life. Life chews them up, spits them out. People whose value has been lost in this world. But the point is, is that God still sees them and God still values them and he still cares about them. That's kind of, so if we see this as a parable that says death is final and, and uh, there's going to just be a, a choice that we make and we're either going to be ending up in, by Abraham's side or, or in, in, in torment um, and suffering. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it's not anything that we do or anything that we go through that's going to earn us salvation. Once we understand all of that stuff, that's the 30,000-foot view. Now I'd like to come into maybe the 30-foot uh, the view and see really what the point may be that Jesus would like for us to understand. So again, we start out with this rich man, just like last week. But like last week, we see that the wealth of the man is not the issue. Okay, it, It's not the, the fact that he was rich that we have a problem with him. It's the condition of his heart, what he chose to do or not do with his extra. The, the opportunities that he missed to use the resources in a way that would honor God. That's the heart of the issue, right? That's the issue. Here's a man who does not give any recognition to God, and he doesn't seem to care about anybody else. Lazarus has been put right there at his door, it's obvious he, he may even know Lazarus's name because Lazarus has been there so often. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the plight of, of Lazarus. It's this attitude of, I'm living for me, and I don't need to live for anybody else. That's demonstrated by his actions. I, I think that's really at the core of this message. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 25 that our actions tend to give our hearts away. The condition of our hearts will be seen through what we do. We will show who we are in a very practical way by what we do. Whatever's going on in our hearts will be acted out upon. Okay, That's the story, by the way, in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats, where 
the, the Son of Man, Jesus, comes back and he separates the people into these two groups that he will then address at the end of time. The sheep will be welcomed into heaven and the goats will be thrown out of the kingdom. And it's based on what they did and did not do. Again, it's not about their salvation. The, the, what they did was not the basis of salvation. But what they did or didn't do, it, it comes from salvation. It's the benefits of salvation. In other words, what Jesus is describing, that the sheep were able to do things for people and the goats were not, that's not the, the, the way to be saved. It's the way to be when you are saved. Let me say that again. It's not the path to salvation. It's not the way to be saved. But once you are saved, it is the way to be. Does that make sense? I hope so. Um, in other words, if the Spirit of God is really controlling us, if we have really confessed that Jesus is Lord, that's not just words, folks. That's got to be a lifestyle that we've got to be able to show to demonstrate that, yes, he really is Lord. We confess it not just with words. Our words actually match our actions. If we have truly confessed them as Lord, then we need to, uh, then when we see a need out there and have the means to help, Jesus teaches us that if we ignore that need, we are not serving him. That's the point of Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goats. So with that in mind, it's obvious that the rich man in this parable was not a child of Abraham, was not operating like a child of God. He, he tries to, to say, hey, Abraham, I'm on your side, man. Uh, can you uh, help a brother out? And it's almost as Abraham says, but you're really not of my descendant. Even though you might have my blood in you, you are not a person of faith. You are not a person of action. And therefore, you're not being directed by the, the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus. You don't care about Lazarus. You, you didn't even care or notice that he existed right outside of your gates. That shows that you are not part of the believing crowd. Because that's, those are not the actions and the attitudes of a believer. It's interesting that, uh, again, Jesus uses a name in this parable. He, he calls the man Lazarus. And again, some people think, well, then that means this is not a parable. This really happened because he never uses uh, names in parables. But maybe Jesus is helping us by giving a name to this unnamed beggar because he wants us to understand the humanity of this beggar, something that the rich man was clueless about. Okay? Jesus doesn't say a certain man or a certain beggar. He, he's showing compassion here, and, and he's showing how to live out the principles of Scripture in a very practical way in this life. So maybe he's using the name Lazarus to make us mindful of the reality of real people in this world, that God would want us to help before it's too late. Lazarus, in that way, really does represent the throwaways of society. People who are really, truly in need and who have suffered at the hands of others. You know, the name Lazarus in Hebrew means God helps. And if that's part of Jesus's point, then it's important to see that God helps, not because of Anything that Lazarus did, he was not particularly pious or righteous in the story. He just suffered, right? 
He doesn't deserve God's help, but God chooses to help. He reaches down and shows mercy and grace. Okay, And when Lazarus dies, he is escorted to the side of Abraham, not because he had done anything right, but because of the choice of God. It was a God thing. Now, in, in Jesus' day, there's a common perception that if you had it easy in life, God is blessing you. And I know that that's an idea that still exists in certain pockets of Christianity today. You know, you'll hear preachers say God wants to bless you and to take away any struggle or sickness that you might have. But I've also encountered in this world today, in our culture, that uh, those who think that the opposite is true, that if you have it easy in life, well, you must be a horrible person. And those whose life is difficult, like Lazarus, well, somehow they are a little bit closer to God and a little bit more blessed. Now, God does look upon the needs of the needy, definitely. He looks upon the needs of the oppressed. He pleads for their cause, right? He looks after the widow and the orphan. But to say that people are saved because that they are a widow or an orphan or have a hard time in life, well, that's just as faulty as saying that if God blesses you, then that means you're right with him. And if he doesn't bless you, then you're not right with him. See, both of those ideas are wrong and unbiblical because they all hinge on the merits of us, of people, what we do and what we earn and what we deserve. If nothing else, this parable and what happens at the end of the rich man's life and the end of Lazarus's life, that, that tells us that it is God who is the judge. He's the one who makes the decision about where the rich man and Lazarus both end up in the afterlife. So what do we do? What do we find out about the afterlife? Well, that's where things get interesting. And it can be distracting um, from what is the real thing. The way Jesus describes this afterlife, which I do want to point out, is actually a pre-resurrection reality of the afterlife. In other words, all this happens before Jesus goes to the cross and is raised uh, with power from the dead three days later. This is before Jesus defeats death once and for all. It, it takes place before, so who knows if this is still the reality after the resurrection of Jesus. Anyway, the, the way Jesus describes this afterlife implies a few things. Number one, we see that there's a conscious awareness of where they are and what's happening. Right? They know. There's a memory also of their past life. There's a capacity to think and to reason, and there is an understanding of the outcome of one's choices. Now, are we supposed to take from this parable the fact that you can communicate between the two realms of the afterlife? Uh, are we supposed to know from this parable that there will be a desire for some people to, to go between the two realms? Yeah, maybe. But keep in mind, that the point is not about where we go after we die as much as is the fact that once we get to where we go, it is a permanent state. You've heard the saying, east is east and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. Well, just like that, there is a definite separation between the two realities of our afterlife, and no one is going to be able to get out of one to travel to the other. Apparently, those in Hades are going to be able to remember what they did in life, and they will mourn over their decisions, and they will wish that they could warn others of the truth that's being ignored. In my opinion, there is no torture that can compare with that kind of torment. To know that you could have had, you could have made a better choice in life, 
but you didn't, and now it's too late. So here's the good news for us, church. While it's true that one day it will be too late, too late to change the decisions you've made in this life, too late to let other people know of the truth of God's word, the good news is that it's not too late right now. As long as it is today, as long as Jesus hasn't come back yet, it's not too late for you. It's only too late when it's too late. And praise God we have this moment today to take a good look at our life and realize there's still a chance while we have life. So let me ask, what are you doing with the time that you've been given? Are you wasting it? Are you headed down the wrong track, full steam ahead? Some of us here today have already wasted so many years, even decades, chasing after the wrong thing. And if today you're coming to that realization, please know this isn't designed to make you feel rotten. It's a warning, yes, but the grace of God is such that the warning comes with a hope that it's not too late to get on a different track. God allows U-turns as long as you're still on the road. The good news of this parable, and what I think Jesus is really trying to get us to understand now in this life, is that as long as you have time, you can choose to quit wasting that time on things that don't matter. It, it, it is not that we've been given too short of a space of time, although in, in light of eternity, it really is. Even if you live 100 years, boy, what a short span of life we have. But it's more so that we, as a race, tend to waste whatever time we've given. God has given us time. And no matter how many years that are in your life, God's design is that you would use whatever time he gave you to, to do his will, to accomplish his plan, to invest in the wisest way. Abraham reminded the rich man of his lifetime. And he said, you had a lifetime. We don't know how many years the rich man lived before he died, but we know that he had a lifetime. And God's plan for that lifetime was ignored. God wants us to, to get outside of ourselves and be agents of redemption in this world wherever the need exists. Or as one person said, the opportunity of a lifetime is only good during the lifetime of the opportunity. So it's not how old are you or how old you will be when you die. The question is, do you have a lifetime like this man? Do you have a lifetime? And if you do, then you can reflect and adjust, which is what Jesus is trying to get us to do, to reflect before we regret. Now, Paul weighs in on this concept in Ephesians chapter 5, where he encourages us to redeem the time that we have. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What a great way to live, to reflect, to reprioritize, and then to redeem. Paul wants us to know that time can't be saved, but it can be redeemed. The time that is left in our lifetime can be lived on point and on priorities. Some of us learn it early. Jesus figured it out at 12 years old, right? Some of us take a little longer to get it. But again, age is not the issue. When you come to it, it's, that's not the issue. It's, a, it's about getting there. It's about finding the wisdom. It's about figuring out what matters, not just in this life, but in eternity. It's, it's to try to figure out how to be the agent of redemption that we talked about last week. To see the needs around us and to know that if we're living in God's kingdom, 
operating as his hands and feet, sharing what God has given to us with other people, both in resources and in understanding and wisdom. That's the whole point. Well, it matters, not just in this life, then. It matters then in eternity as well. How much time do you have left? Will it be wasted and lead to regret? Or will you redeem the time? Just heard the story this last uh, week. Charles Adams, who was the son of uh, John Quincy Adams, uh, the grandson of President John Adams, um, he kept a diary. Charles Adams did. And one day he entered into the desi- into the diary I went fishing with my son today. It was a day that was wasted. But his son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which we still have today, by the way. And on that same day, the same day that Charles Adams said, I went fishing with my son today, and it was a day wasted, Brooke Adams said this in his uh, diary, I went fishing with father today. It was the most wonderful day of my life. You got to know, have the right perspective to know how to redeem the time. Now that we understand the general principle, there's a very specific application that I must bring up as you hear this. Out of all the decisions that we can wisely make in regards to our time, the one that's most crucial when it comes to the scope of eternity is the choice to surrender one's life to the Lordship of Jesus. I've heard people say, yeah, I I believe in God, but I also know that I don't have to go to church in order to be a good person. Now, I, I agree with that statement, by the I know some very good people who don't go to church. But I hope that you understand, as you are hearing me, that uh, as as we study God's Word, as we're trying to uh, follow closer as uh, disciples, it's not about doing anything as much as it is a realization of who needs to just be in charge of your life, whatever that means. He'll lead you to do. You don't have to worry about the do. You, you You need to worry about the who. Who is in charge? So it's not about even being good. It's about being godly, godlike. It's about reconnecting with your creator in such a way that it becomes life becomes full of joy, no matter what goes on in your life. It, it means that your life is filled with hope, regardless of what is going on. It, it means that your life is empowered by God's spirit to actually be, not just to do, but to be the kind of people that he designed us to be. This parable of the rich man and Lazarus ultimately leads us to the understanding of this critical nature of choosing, before it's too late, choosing to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in this life, in the time that you've been given here and now. Because unfortunately, when you get to the next life, there will be no option to choose. Jesus told us today is the day of salvation. It's not a great idea to gamble with a time that we may or may not have. Jesus came to live with us in order to offer us a way to one day live with him. But we must begin to live with him now, here, in this world, in this life, in order to be able to live with him forever. It's a choice that you must make, and it's a choice that you must make before it's too late. Now, the amazing part is this. There is then no regret when you surrender. Because Jesus is a Lord who has put your needs ahead of his own comfort. That's what he demonstrated on the cross. That's what he demonstrated by uh, uh, stooping down and washing the disciples' feet. Jesus shows that he is the perfect lover who cares about not just the eternal outcome of your life, but about your character in this life as well. 
He is patient and kind. He does not envy or boast. He does not rejoice in evil. He exults in the truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. Jesus never fails. So when you surrender to that kind of Lord, you don't have to regret it at all. Oh man, I'm going to miss out on all of these other things. No. The blessings that he brings to you will far surpass any of the things that you had to give up in order for him to be your Lord. That kind of love is available to you. That kind of character is waiting to be developed in you if you're willing to make a choice, the choice of a lifetime today, to make Jesus the Lord of your life today, to commit yourself to following his ways today and pass from death into life. No regrets, just amazing promises. You can say yes, but you must say yes before it's too late. Well, that's a very simple message today, this week. Um, but hopefully it uh, pierces in through the hardness of hearts so that we can understand what God's plan is and, and what we must do before it's too late. What the rich man did not do, he realized when it was too late. Um, hopefully uh, you are uh, living for the Lord this week, that uh, you are seeing uh, the places that he wants you to operate and saying the things that he wants you to say. Uh, may you have a blessed week as you follow him. May he shine through you. I, I do want to thank all the people that make these podcasts possible. Lisa Welly, our executive producer, uh, Steve Pittman, who uh, makes sure that we have all of the, the right kind of tech um, and the um, internet connections that we need here at the church in order to do these things as well. And I, again, want to thank you for uh, tuning in, for your attention, and for your heart for the Lord and his word. Uh, may it continue to um, bless you and enrich you as you go along your life this week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.